Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Speaking Club podcast. This weekend in the UK is Easter weekend, where we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reopening of the gates of heaven to humankind, and get fat on chocolate. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, because making them laugh is the secret sauce to your speaking, pitching, and business success. And now your host, Sarah Archer. Hey, and welcome to the show. I thought this would be a good place for the second show on humor because being able to see the funny side is a great tool for increasing your resilience and well-being. And it's also really useful for making technical data more engaging, which is next month's theme. See what I did there? Well, out of the gate, I want to say that if you haven't listened to the first show I did on humor, which was episode 19, then you might want to hop on over and listen to that one first. And I'll put the link in the show notes for that. Well, now in episode 19, my aim was to show you why humor is great for speakers, experts, business owners and leaders and to give you what I believe are the comedy essentials. But as I said in that show, there was more to share on this topic. And here we are. I can't emphasize enough what difference it will make to your career or business if you're able to make people smile and laugh with your content. Now, I know how scary it can seem to be intentionally funny, but there are little tips, tools and techniques that you'll learn today that will make you funnier without it feeling to you or your audience like you're forcing the gag. So without further ado, let me take you through my risk-free tools for making your content funnier. Now, the first thing I want to cover off that will absolutely help you to add humor is to introduce you to the creator and the critic. Now, us human beings have two sides. One side is creative, playful, curious, like a child. And I call that one the creator. The other side of us is logical, likes the facts, is great for working things out, loves rules and is more like an adult. So that is going to be the critic. Most of us have got a dominant side and generally that influences what career we choose and how we communicate and how we like to be communicated to. But the interesting thing is that when we're doing something that we feel might have some slight risk attached, and especially when that thing is something that we perceive we might be judged for or fail at, then the critic turns itself up to full volume and the creator doesn't get a look in. That this often happens to my students and not, not just in relation to humour. And it can happen when they're trying to capture the value of their product or service, when they're applying for a promotion, when they're about to write or deliver a pitch at a networking meeting and so on. Those times where it, we perceive it as high value, high risk, we lose our creativity. So we need to manage that. And at that point, the critic will be shouting negative thoughts, raking up all the evidence to reinforce a limiting belief and so on. And that's why I think it's important to get an outside perspective on your stuff, on the value of your product, your service, your ideas, because sometimes no matter how hard we try, we just can't see it ourselves. And we need uh, you know, a fresh perspective and a push often. So it's like this. As far as producing content is concerned, you need both the critic and the creator. 
but they have specific roles in the process. When you're doing research or analyzing data or information, proofreading, editing, basically anything that's more logical or following a process, then your critic should be in charge. But when you're sitting down to write a talk or copy or a blog post, a story or a joke, then your creator should be front and center. Now, I'd even recommend if it was possible that you assign different spaces to work in critic or creator mode. And you've got to give yourself the space to try things out, to be curious, to ponder, to experiment. Um, the trouble is with the critic around, sometimes you can get shut down before you get to the good stuff. Cool. So first thing, recognize those two different modes. Try and keep them separate when you're working on different things, creative things and processy things. Smashing. Let's move on. Now I'm going to share one of the best comedy techniques going, the infamous rule of three. Now, people attribute lots of significance and mysticism, I think I've seen as well, to the value of three. And the reason why it's so important is because we as human beings can remember three things easily and it's got great rhythm. So Tony Blair famously used it on the campaign trail to talk about education, education, education. Barack Obama often used it in his speeches too. You'll hear the determination in the voice of a young field organiser. You'll hear the pride in the voice of a volunteer. You'll hear the deep patriotism in the voice of a military spouse. There's the repetition there, the three. And I'm sure Donald Trump would use it if he ever read what his speechwriters had written. Anyway, and in comedy, the rule of three is magical as well because it takes two things to establish a pattern. And then the third thing can break that pattern. Now, as I've told you before, a good comedian is like a magician because we're constantly using misdirection. We want the audience to make an assumption based on one story and then we shatter that assumption and surprise and delight them. And with the rule of three, the audience will assume that the pattern will continue and then we throw in something unexpected that fits with the theme of the joke, but is incongruent with the other two things. Okay, let me give you some examples. Although I've used already a couple today and I, and I often use them in my intro quips. So you're probably familiar with them. Anyway, here we go. A rug is great for welcoming guests, keeping floors clean and making bald men look silly. Making employee engagement a priority retains talent, increases productivity and makes consultants rich. Let's take a closer look at those. In the first example, I'm exploiting the double meaning of the word rug. Because I don't know about other countries, but in the UK, we use it to refer to wigs as well. So in this joke, the audience will be assuming that I'm talking about floor covering, but I switch it at the end to use it with its alternative meaning. And in the second joke, again, I'm breaking the pattern of work-related positive things to have a poke at consultants. Hopefully, you can also see that even with these short kind of one-liners, all the ingredients from the threes formula I shared in episode 19 are present. There's a target, hostility, realism, exaggeration, emotions and surprise in both the jokes. Let me break the first one down 
just to show you. In the rug joke, the target is bald men. The hostility or attitude is based on my view that I think they look better au naturel. And realism is established by the first two examples. I'm exaggerating because it doesn't look bad on all men, just most. And the emotion comes in the pause before the punchline delivery, where it builds tension. And the surprise is obviously breaking the pattern. So there you go. That's an easy technique that you can use in your talks, in your copy, in one-to-one conversations, anywhere really. If the thing occurs to you, you can use it. And it's particularly good for data jokes. For instance, you could say, what does this data tell us? Normal thing, normal thing, funny thing. Smashing. Okay, let's move on to what you can do to make your jokes or stories more amusing after you've written them. First of all, you need to keep them brief and punchy. Remember, you're not writing a novel. You need just to give your audience enough information to get the picture in the setup and make the target assumption if it's a joke. Um, and just generally keeping the setup to a story is, is brief is a good idea. And to quote the bard, brevity is the soul of wit. Next, you've got to get specific. As I've mentioned before, the comedy is in the detail. The comedy is in the detail. You need to get really specific where you can. So, for instance, if you're describing someone's expression, you could say, Sarah looks surprised. Or better would be to say, her eyebrows shot up higher than SpaceX. The other thing to say here is that depending on what's going on at the news at the time you're speaking or writing, or depending on where you are in the world, you can make things even more amusing by making the thing you're using to illustrate the emotion or the third thing, if you're using the rule of three, um, if you make it topical or related to the location where you're speaking. So with the example I just used, SpaceX is relatively topical, but based on what's going on today in the news as I record this episode, I might say, her eyebrows rose higher than CNN's ratings after Stormy's interview. Or for location, I live in the southwest of England, and this could be slightly edgy, but it covers both location and happens also to be topical. I might say, her eyebrows shot up higher than if her partner had proposed a romantic break in Salisbury. Which is absolutely a beautiful place, but probably not the destination of choice while they're still collecting nerve gas samples. Brill, let's move on. So the next thing you can do to make your content funnier is talk about specific characters and ideally make them personal to you. These days, no one wants to hear about two men who walked into a bar. They want to know who the men are. And again, you can make these jokes even funnier if you use relatives, even if they're made up. Comedians always making relatives up. It's fine. It's allowed. Um, Celebrities. Uh, you can use celebrities, they, they can be funny. Or by permission, if you're speaking at a company, a uh, company exec might work if they're up for it. And the bar, for instance, if it was two men walking to a bar, it, the bar could be local to where you're performing. And I promise you, if you lo- use local references or topical stuff, the sort of value of your material goes up. People really appreciate that you you sort of seem to be in the moment. Oakley doakley. The next thing... 
I want to tell you about is quoting wherever possible. And what I mean by this is that it's funnier if you can use dialogue. You've probably heard both speakers and comedians do this in the past because dialogue brings stories to life. It enables you to show the emotion um, and, and also to add like an accent or a way of speaking that makes it funnier. So if your story includes an exchange between you, for instance, and a child, then you can crouch when you're being the child, which is also a funny image and goes to the last sort of penultimate tip I want to give you, which is to create pictures or cartoons for your audience. So if you are referencing a child, maybe it's not dialogue, but you're just talking about a child, you can gesture with your hand uh, showing someone smaller than you. Or if you're talking about the glass ceiling, for instance, you're doing a, uh, an equality talk, reaching upwards, pointing is a purposeful movement that makes your content more relatable and engaging. The bottom line is it's always better for an audience if you show rather than tell. Okay, and the last thing I want to share, and it's an unusual one, but it happens to be true, is that if you use hard consonants like b and k, and t, they make things sound funnier. I, I don't know why, you'll just have to trust me on this one. But what I wanted to do was to bring this all together by sharing a story by the speaker John Acuff. And he's one of the top US speakers and he's known for being funny and entertaining alongside having strong ideas and content. So I'm going to play some audio for you where he's speaking at a Christian volunteer conference. I made sure it was good clean material and he's telling a story about a lady with a tambourine. I'll put in a link in the show notes to the talk so you can see how he physically characterizes the piece but you'll definitely be able to appreciate the color he brings to the story through his characterization and voice, tone, pitch, pace and volume too. So have a listen to Mr. Acuff and the lady with the tambourine. And sometimes it's hard for me to find funny things to write about when it comes to faith and Christian culture. And other times, a woman sitting near me at church brings her own tambourine to play. <laughs> <laughs> and on those days, it is easier to find something funny to write about. And so I'm in church in Nashville, and I hear some tambourining, which I think is the verb of that word. And I look up on stage, and none of the worship leaders have a tambourine. And it was like one of those horror movies where they say the call is coming from inside the house. The, the tambourine was coming from inside the crowd. And so I looked about for said tambourine, and hark! There's a tambourine in my row. Two people over, there was a tambourine. And let's be honest about that. That was a premeditated tambourine. <laughs> that was a home-brought tambourine. There was some forethought that went into the arrival of that tambourine. And I wish I could have been there in that moment that morning when that woman was getting ready for church. Because on some level she thought, do you know what this church needs more of? <laughs> tambourine. <laughs> and do you know who will bring that tambourine? I will! 
And in my head, I like to imagine that scene in the movies where the hero gets ready for battle. You know the scene. Like, they did it in the Matrix where the hero goes up to that big double cabinet, throws open the doors, the wall is covered with weapons, and they start getting ready. In my mind, she has that same double cabinet, but it's full of tambourines. And she walked over that morning, whipped open those doors, and said, who will ride into battle with me today? Oh, Silver Fox. Put it in her little tambourine holster. I'm sure they have those. They should if they don't. And then went to church that morning. And there was, a, there was a college student next to me that I didn't know. I'd never met her before. And she had both of her hands over her mouth. She was convulsing with laughter. Like tears were shooting out of her face. Because you didn't want to laugh because God works in mysterious ways. You know, even the stones will cry out. Even the rocks will cry out. For all we know, that morning, Jesus was like, a little more tambourine. She was like, you got it, JC. I don't know. But so she held it together for a few minutes. And then finally, she couldn't contain herself. And she said, I didn't know we could bring around instruments. <laughs> and the fast songs were okay. The fast songs were okay because... She had a rhythm. Like, it wasn't the rhythm we were using that day, but it was a rhythm. But it was the slow songs where it just got super awkward. Because we'd be in, like, minute 19 of that song, Oceans by Hillsong United, like, chorus 42. Like, we were walking across the entire ocean. Like, the whole ocean in that song. And it'd be real quiet, and we'd be like, we love you, Jesus. She'd be like, bang, 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 bang. And at the end of every song, I'm not making this up, at the end of every song, she would play us out, as you are wont to do with a tambourine. So the song would conclude, and she would go, cha. You know what I'm feeling? Like, you feeling me? Like, just a little bit of tambourine sizzle on the end, a little bit of cha. And as soon as I heard that, I started to write down notes. And my wife said, you're, you're writing a blog right now. And I said, when God gives you blog manna, <laughs> you receive it. That was great, wasn't it? I, and hopefully you could see, or rather hear, some of those things coming together in John's talk. So he was specific often, like um, in the naming of the tambourine, silver fox, for instance, in having tambourine holster. They're just a couple of examples uh, I can think of, and then and then sort of you know again with think being specific with the girl who was convulsing with laughter, who had tears shooting out of her face or whatever it was he said something along those lines, and the way he he was creating pictures. You watch, I would suggest watch the the actual video if you can, just to see the, the sort of the physical stuff he does as well. But hopefully, yeah, hopefully you saw how he brought it all together in the dialogue and everything. He didn't actually use rule of three, I don't think there, but he does earlier on in that talk use it and I'm sure after that excerpt as well but yeah it was really good stuff and I'll put a link also to uh, his website as he's written some really cool books as well okay let me recap what I've covered for you in the episode so firstly I talked about the creator and the critic and I just want you to remember use that uh, in separate parts of the process 
so that you can be as creative as you want and also you get the benefit of that logical side of you when you're editing and and you know crafting the talk if you like and the same rules actually apply when you're rehearsing too and I've got a freebie I've put together for you on a rehearsal process which enables you to sound really natural and engaging rather than like you've memorized a script it will really help you learn your stuff so that you can be really confident on stage um, this is a useful process I use it myself to make sure that I'm really performing the stuff and uh, and getting people's attention and you can pick that up from www.saraharcher.co.uk slash rehearsal blueprint or you can just follow the link in the show notes okay so after creative critic I covered off the rule of three and showed you how this technique can be used to make things funnier without it sounding forced because even if the last uh, third thing doesn't work you've still got a perfectly acceptable you know three things relating to whatever it is that you're talking about and I also showed you how you can make things topical or location related to get more comedy mileage. Then I explained how you should keep things brief and yet be specific because the comedy is in the detail. And if we can make characters real and personal uh, to you or known to others, either celebrities or, you know, corporate execs or whatever, then that will also up the comedy ante. And lastly, we covered off using dialogue to allow more characterization and those hard consonants, which will bring everything to life and make it more engaging and entertaining for you and your audience. It will make it more fun for you to do this stuff. I uh, was working with a client just the other day and we put a really funny intro into her talk where she's acting out being a an employee with a bad attitude really just to sort of frame the talk and it will I'm sure it's going to grab attention and it's it's a really she really enjoyed doing it it was a fun thing to do okay well that's almost it I just wanted firstly to say thank you again so much for giving me your ears and attention I really hope you found this episode useful and that you'll use some of the things I shared with you to spice up your speaking and your copy now, remember also, if you want to get some additional content, join the Speaking Club group on Facebook, where I'll be hanging out and doing more stuff, including some Q&A sessions. Okay, so don't forget to pick up the rehearsal process freebie. I really think it will help you. And also the link will be in the show notes for you, as I've said. And if you like the show, please leave a review or rating if you can spare a couple of minutes and share and share the podcast with other people too. That'd be smashing. Lastly from me, all I need to say is have a fantastic week and don't forget to grab your life by the Easter eggs and get cracking. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Speaking Club podcast at www.saraharcher.co.uk.